My name's Ed Baker. I'm 39 years old. After taking about 10 years off from exercise and fitness, I decided to start training for the triathlon. In July, I did my first ever Ironman, and it was at Lake Placid, New York. I ended up winning the race and qualifying for a spot at the Kona Ironman World Championships, which is in October of this year. I've never seen a runner turn triathlete progress as quickly as he has. He obviously has the athletic talent, but to be able to transform himself into a triathlete and a good swimmer is nothing short of amazing. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I have just finished a wonderful in-person conversation with the CEO and founder of Any Question, Mr. Ed Baker. And Ed is just so forthcoming with so much knowledge in this one. When it comes to starting a business, what are the first steps after you have the idea and what building a team? And we use so many analogies in this one, a cross-section from sport to business. Ed also refers back to his Uber days and the lessons he learned there from a two-sided marketplace. This is a fascinating episode for anybody that A, is looking to improve in sport, but B, is looking to help their business or potentially have an idea to start their own business. If either you're doing that or you know somebody in that area, then this is an episode that you must share with them because there's just so many wonderful takeaways. For this sort of 50-minute episode, I think you'll find there's just so much knowledge and, and great information on this one. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. Thank you so much for listening and sharing the show. I really appreciate it. And also, please go check out Any Question. You can find it on iOS and Android. Would love your feedback and advice, but at the moment, the product is growing. We now have 370 experts across 10 platforms and over 20,000 answers already there. So go on there. It's free for the first hour. Go check it out. Feel free to ask questions and you'll get responses from some of the world's greatest experts. There's a lot of endurance sport community in there from Tri on swim, bike and run, but there's also some great health and wellness communities in there, including nutrition and musculoskeletal and overall healthcare. Come on board, be an early founding user and, and enjoy the platform. And I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. It was a real thrill to be able to sit down in person with the CEO and founder of Any Question, Ed Baker. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right. Well, today I have a very special guest. He has been on the show a couple of times over the last 18 months. He's become a very good friend and business partner. And I thought what an opportunity it would be because I'm up in his house in Maine and I love the in-person show. So I thought, why not sit down and record a conversation? And this conversation is largely going to be about building startups and where the company that we're working on together, any question is at and where we've come from and where we're going. But a quick little intro from my end. He went to Harvard. He then went to Stanford for his MBA, built a company called Friendly, friend.ly, uh, to 25 million users very, very rapidly. And in fact, so rapidly that Mark Zuckerberg saw it and uh, said, hey, I'm going to acquire that company and bring him on as the head of international growth at Facebook, where he stayed with Facebook until they hit a billion monthly active users and went public. And then he decided there was a little opportunity to join a limousine startup uh, where you could ride share uh, limousines. And that company happened to be Uber. And so then he was at Uber for all its craziness for many, many years until I think he was fairly burnt from Silicon Valley, he decided to move back to the East Coast in Boston where he found the sport of triathlon. And um, that's where we've met through the podcast. And also during that time, he's become a, an investor and is on several boards of companies that many of you would know, including Whoop and Zwift and Form Swim Goggles and numerous others. So he's involved in the endurance community and he, when he found the sport of triathlon, I tell you what, his performances were just off the chart. Um, so he's very athletic as well and uh, become a very good friend. We, we, we chat almost most mornings these days. So to have this opportunity just to sit with him now is very, very special. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show, Mr. Ed Baker. How are you, mate? I'm doing, I'm doing well, Greg. Thanks for having me again on your show. 
And uh, by now I'm used to the fact that you always make me sound better than I actually am with it, with your intros. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, this is the second intro I just yeah. did because I had a coughing fit the first time around. So <laughs> I got that one a little bit better. But, right. it is, but it is always nice just to just to sit and chat. And, uh, and I, was, I was looking at it and going, well, you first came on the show, uh, it was almost January of, of 2021, so 18 months ago. And then we came. You came on the show right when we launched yeah. any question uh, back in October, and then I thought, you know what? We're about ten months in. We're almost yeah. one year since launch, and I thought, what a great time to not only just sit and talk about any question, but it's a great opportunity to talk about people out there that are perhaps wanting to start a business or have a business going. And being that you're somewhat of a growth expert and product expert and you understand and you've built so many businesses, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to have this kind of a conversation. So it's a little different than probably what uh, listeners are used to in terms of finding coaches and um, and athletes and that kind of thing. This one's a bit more of a business orientated, although I do want to use, and you even said this before we started recording, well, we should use all the sporting analogies in reference to business. And so we're going to do that throughout the show as well. That sounds great. I love all of the sporting analogies you've used as we've built this company together. And I, I think there are so many, so many parallels yeah. between taking an idea and turning it into a company um, versus, you know, starting uh, with a new sport yeah. and seeing how far you can take that. Yeah, there was a good one when, and, and I'm jumping ahead here, but I remember when we launched uh, October 25th last year and... Um, you know, and we, we put out a what's known in the business as a minimal viable product, yep. right? And it's kind of uh, get something out there and let's see how it would go. And, you know, we, we had 35 of the world's greatest triathletes and, and coaches and Jan Fredino, Lucy Charles Barclay, Dan Larang, mm-hmm. Dr. Dan Plews. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And when we started, we had a really great group. Now, in hindsight, we, we probably were asking, you know, too much money for people to sign up at the time and there was a bit of pushback in the triathlon community and and I remember using the analogy, well, it's a bit like we've started an Ironman and we got a bit of an elbow to the face but the race isn't over, right? And <laughs> it's right. kind of like... And it's our first race. And it's our first race. Yeah. We just got our pro card and uh, and I think that's kind of the when we look at what we're building here... I don't we, think we even had a pro card at that point. No, I, we, I we were it's our to... first age group race <laughs> yes. and we made a lot of mistakes on the day we launched. Yes. <laughs> and we learned from those mistakes. We did though. and we got so much wonderful yeah. feedback. Some of them probably are listening to this show right now <laughs> right. and uh, we value all that feedback so please keep it coming. We want to, we want to build a really great product, but if you could give us, uh, you know, I did introduce you at the start, but it's always nice to hear if you can introduce yourself a little bit more and give us a bit more of a recap of your journey. And then I'd like to move into the idea of any question and where did it come from and, and how did that all come about? Well, I think you, you covered most of it and I know we've, we've gone through it on the other, um, times you've had me on your show. Uh, but just as like a quick, um, yeah recap and reminder, I I actually built my first startup back when I was in college. Uh, it was called datesite.com. And um, that was in 1999, dating myself a bit right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, ever since then, over the past, uh, you know, over 20 years now, I've just always like had this entrepreneurial bug and always have, um, you know, anytime I think of new ideas, I always think, oh, it'd be fun to build that. Mm-hmm. And most of the time I don't actually go build whatever that idea is. And it's a good thing because most of the time when I um, come up with an idea, <laughs> a few weeks later, I convince myself, I, I'm like, wow, I'm glad I didn't do that. That was a bad idea. So I, I feel like that's often the first step is like have an idea and sit on it pause. and think about mm. it for a while, pause, yeah, take a breath. I'd say most of the time after thinking about things for a few weeks, um, I often just like convince myself that was not actually as good of an idea as I thought it was when I first had it. Mm. Um, after college, I worked in consulting and private equity for mm. a while, then went out to business school, um, largely because I I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Mm. And I thought Stanford would be a great place to just get me out to Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be the case. You know, I, after business school, started that company Facebook, Uber, it was like great to be in Silicon Valley. And I just learned so much being in that ecosystem Mm. and 
um, you know, all of the people that I met, other people who were starting companies, investing in companies. So I was there for a little over a decade and um, learned a ton during that time. Mm. And then about, you know, five years ago, moved back here to the East Coast. And um, it was nice to take a, another long pause uh, where I just got into triathlon, mm. you know, and I took about four years, four years off, uh, tr- you know, mostly <laughs> doing Ironman races and that kind of thing and getting injured along the way. But now it's, it's really been exciting over this last year to be working on mm. this new startup, be working on that with you and with our growing team. Mm. You know, I feel like we're still just getting started, but mm. it's exciting to see where we've come just over the last nine or 10 months since we launched. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and thanks for that recap. But going back to datesite.com, that I've heard you talk about and just tell me about what that was a little bit just because it's and how times have changed when it comes to emailing and, and, and the difference of what that was like. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, so this was back in 1999 when email was still a pretty new thing. Mm. Um, and so the way DateSite worked, you'd put in email addresses of people you had crushes on and they'd get an email saying someone likes you. And back then, people would actually read emails like that, and we didn't have spam filters back then. And so, um, you know, that worked back then, whereas today, if you were to do that, I think, (laughs) first of all, they'd probably never make it into your inbox because it would probably just hit a spam filter. So a lot has changed. You know, that was all on desktop web, Mm. and now most things are mobile, Mm -hmm. so that's a big change. Of course, things like video, like back then, no one was doing anything with video, uh, whereas today, you know, with TikTok and Instagram Reels and everything else these days, it feels like it's it's video first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, and that's also a big difference with starting a company like Any Question Today versus Date Site back in 1999. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I, I look at you and I've got to know some of your family members and even some of your cousins who are down yeah, in Florida, sure. and and I I bumped into them at a at a birthday party that our kids were all at, and uh, and your cousins were like. You know, even when Ed was just a young kid, he was always building things, you know, and it's like you always had in mind that you wanted to build things, whether it was, and I think either you said or one of them said that when in the early to mid 90s, you were already building websites for your dad's business or something. Oh, that's was right. It, yeah. yeah. For the, my first job was actually a summer internship at my dad's company when I was in high school and I helped them build their website. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so, you've always had that kind of yeah. mindset of wanting to build something, sure. you know, and you've been comfortable with that. And I think there's something about somebody that wants to be building, whether it's with their hands or products or whatever it is, and kind of the more times you do it, mm-hmm. the more comfortable you get with failure, with, with it not being as what you want, right? The of more course. times you try oh, yeah. it. I mean, yeah. I've failed so many times at this point. I think I'm no longer afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You <laughs> right? just start to go, okay, yeah. I'm just, but yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep giving it a go. And, and I think that's really cool. So fast forward, any question. Tell me about that first idea. Who did you share it with? What was their reaction? How long did you pause for, like you mentioned earlier? Sure. What was that whole process like? I know I've told this to you before. I can't remember if I shared it on the last podcast, but it was actually listening to this podcast that inspired me with this idea in the first place. Uh, Because as I was training for triathlons, every time I would go on a long run, I would listen to another Mm -hmm. episode of this podcast. And I just realized I'm learning so much more listening to the best triathletes in the world, talking about how how they train and mindset and all these other things. Basically, you asking them questions, I learned so much, but I always wanted to like ask some of my own questions at the end. Yeah. I think that's when I first thought to myself, there's, why is there not a platform where anyone can ask world-class experts questions? You know, starting out with professional triathletes, but eventually it could apply to anything. Mm-hmm. That was around the time I got to know you. And um, two of the first people I shared the idea with were uh, you and Jan Ferdano, actually. Mm. You know, and I, I kind of was just curious because... You two were clearly experts who I just wanted to bounce the idea off of to see, like, would something like this ever interest either of you, a platform where you could answer questions? Mm. We were kind of chatting once a month or whatever, uh, more more about triathlon, and then you brought me this idea and you said, look, you know, if there was a, a social platform where 
you know, users would come on and ask the experts questions. What do you think about it? And my initial reaction as somebody that is not comfortable with self-promotion as such, like through Instagram or whatever, right. <laughs> it always felt uncomfortable. Sure. And, and I, I might've mentioned on this show as well, it was like, I was brought up in the way that, you know, you don't talk about yourself unless somebody asks. Mm-hmm. Right, and then you, when you've got permission, don't get me wrong. I'll talk all day. You ask me a story, <laughs> I, I don't mind chatting about myself, as you know. But it was kind of like I love that idea of being able to go. Well, there's a question. Yeah. You know, hey Greg, you know, tell us why you like the track speed concept or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I can go, okay. Firstly, it's video, so I can show my bike and why I love it, and blah right. blah 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 blah. And so I immediately was like, I love this idea because it takes away the biggest hurdle for me as an expert in a particular area and that is permission to talk about myself. Yes. And, and it's funny, you know, even when I look at Craig Alexander mm-hmm. who's on the, and he's a very good friend of ours but, mm-hmm. but I've known Craig for many, many years and he's struggled with social media mm. as much as I have and all the sponsors these days want you to be on Instagram and whatever, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. the whole lot and promoting but he's always felt a bit uncomfortable and yet he's come over to any question and suddenly his answers are just off the chart, fun, brilliant. Like the oh, guy totally. is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but you give him permission to talk about himself and, right. and, and Crowey, Craig, is one of the greatest storytellers mm. in the world. Oh, yeah. But he's not going to do it in a way where if he has to kind of get himself to do it. Right. And so I think for me and some of us guys that weren't naturally in that social media world, it was yeah. a really it was a really obvious oh, thing. I, I remember one of Crowey's answers from the early days on the platform, early days being nine months ago, um, was like, I think his most embarrassing story. Oh, and that's... I still think that was the, that's the funniest story I've heard in a long time. But yeah, I, you know, back to who did I first talk to about it? And I mentioned you and, and Jan. And the reason I, that was important for me was I, I, I realized I was going to be building a two-sided marketplace mm. if we did end up building this thing. And I felt like as a user, I kind of just knew whether or not this was something that I'd find valuable. Mm. You know, I just knew I would find it very valuable to be able to ask the best in the world questions Mm. and hear their answers. What I didn't know is how would the experts themselves feel? Mm. And I wanted, and I, I think you don't need to like, get thousands of data points. Like in my case, even just having those two from mm. you and Jan, where it's like, yeah, this would be this would be pretty interesting, was enough for me to say, okay, I think this is worth like giving this a try. Mm. It, it kind of reminds me of when I first decided to join Uber, there were two, two big questions I had in my mind that I wanted to make sure I answered before I joined the company. One is, do the riders like it? And two is, do the drivers like it, right? Because that's another two-sided marketplace. Um, It was very easy for me to answer the first question just based on my own experience with my first Uber trip. Mm -hmm. It was magical. And then literally every friend I spoke with could recollect their first Uber ride. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it was pretty clear that this was a magical thing on the um, on kind of the rider side, Mm -hmm. the user side. But then the question is, well, how do the drivers feel about it? Mm -hmm. And so I actually started talking to my Uber drivers asking them, how do you like working with this company? Mm. You know, back then they were all saying, it's amazing. I can earn money in a flexible way and I can turn it on, turn it off whenever I want. Uh, they make, they made more per hour than they were making doing the other things. So to me, that was a sign, okay, this company has product market fit on both sides of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. This is something special. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're referencing back to Uber. How did they build out you know, we've discussed often in any question, you have a chicken and egg problem. What do you do? You know, sure. you, you buy the chicken, right? <laughs> I mean, right. It, it, right. it's like for us, we have a chicken and egg problem. We need experts and we need users and mm-hmm. supply and demand. And for us, we've kind of leaned in on the, the experts to begin with. That's right. And creating as, as much uh, content as possible before we really reach out to the users. But how did they do it with Uber? Yeah, good question. So, you know, you mentioned you buy the chicken. I think that was a line from Andrew Chen's uh, book, The Cold Start Problem, which Mm. I highly recommend if anyone's interested in, Mm. you know, building out, uh, building a startup in a two-sided marketplace. Uh, Andrew Chen was on my team at Uber and is now a partner at... One of the best books I've ever read, actually, for for any business. It really is. That's true. For any any, any company. Um, But he talks about when you have a chicken and egg problem, you buy the chicken. What's he mean by that? Well... So 
if the chicken is, let's say the chicken represents supply and the egg represents demand in a two-sided marketplace. So with Uber, the supply was the drivers and the demand was the riders. Um, buying the chicken basically means, well, let's just start paying the drivers to go on the road and start driving mm. even before you have demand. So what we would do when we would launch Uber in a new city is we would actually pay the drivers an hourly guarantee. Mm. And we would say, as long as you're on, on the road with the app turned on, and as long as you accept a request whenever you receive it, we will guarantee that we'll pay you at least you know $30 an hour or whatever the number was. Mm. And if you happen to do trips, um, you can potentially make more than that. Mm-hmm. But even if you do zero trips, we'll it's pay you $30 an hour guaranteed. Mm. So that that's kind of buying the chicken. Uh, but then you also need to get the demand side going. So we would often, in the early days, when we would launch Uber in a new city, not only would we subsidize the drivers and give them those minimum guarantees, but we would also make Uber free for a week. Mm. We just say free Uber week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyone who wants yeah. to ride an yeah. Uber can do it for free. And you know, when things are free, they tend to go viral, yeah. especially when they're things like Uber that people really um, find to be like valuable. Yeah. And so that's how we would get the flywheel going. And then as things grew, we could then turn off the, the, the driver incentives and the rider promotions and it would, could kind of go on its own. Yeah. And then throughout time, you bring in new incentives and you try That's new right. things depending on where That's you're right. at. And it's funny, you know, a lot of what we're doing at any question, a lot of that resonates, right? And it's not just Andrew sure. Chen's book. It's obviously your experience of right. actually first. Tell me about also, um, you know, because one of the things when we first started this and we said, okay, it's going to be video based. Yeah. We didn't have a product, but I decided to write myself out 20 questions and I go around the house and sit in different areas <laughs> and selfie video myself answering these questions sure. just to see if it felt uncomfortable. That's you know? right. That's and, right. and I wanted to know what it was like. And I got to admit, the first, it was almost like there was a, there was a tipping point where the first three to four yeah. felt uncomfortable, but then boom, you get to number five, you know, like, I love this. I'm, I'm just, I'm either self-reflecting or talking about my journey or I'm giving answers on training or nutrition and I got it, right? It That's was like right. this. That's right. And, and for us, there's a little bit of a training program that we need to put in place for new experts to help them get that first five. Mm-hmm. Once they've done five, mm-hmm. they get very comfortable and away they go. With Uber, was it the same kind of, I know oh. you had a similar experience there. Yeah, for, for sure. So, you know, all of us at Uber obviously use the product as riders, mm. right? Uh, Uber would give free credits every month, uh, a certain number of you know free credits, so that people could ride Uber and you know people would take it to work and that kind of thing. So we were all like intimately familiar with the product as a rider, mm. but very few of us had ever experienced what it was like to be an Uber driver. Mm. So one of the things uh, I really encouraged our team to do was we should all give this a try mm. as a driver and see what it's like, uh, myself included. And I still remember the first time I signed up to become an Uber driver, you know, got ready to do my first trip. I did all the stuff, you know, I, I you know, had to do my background check, vehicle inspection, mm. uh, you know, all these th- things before I could even do my first trip. I did all of that. I was ready to do my first trip. I walked out to my car. I sat in the driver's seat and was about to turn on the app and I kind of froze. Wow. I got really nervous. Wow. And I thought to myself, like, well, what if I what if I don't know how to get where they're going? I know there's GPS, but what if I, you know, mess up or how how do I know if they want to listen to music or not? Or am I supposed to talk to them? You know, I basically had all of these questions in my mind right before I turned on the app to do my first trip. And that's when kind of that light bulb went out off in my mind because I thought back to looking at the data where we saw that 50% of people who signed up to become drivers and went through all of that stuff, the vehicle inspection, the background check, all of that, 50% of them never even did a first trip. Wow. And we never understood that metric on the team. But then when I was sitting there in the driver's seat, getting nervous and almost walked back inside because I didn't <laughs> want to do my first trip. That's what I realized. That's This is why yeah. half of our drivers never even do a first trip. Yeah. And so I think it was really valuable for us to experience uh, experience that on the team. And, you know, we then started to brainstorm ideas like, well, how can we make it yeah. more comfortable for people and, and hold, hold their hand a little bit more and that kind of stuff. So another thing, by the way, was like, 
uh, back then, if you just turned the app on while you were like in your own driveway, you might not actually be as close to a place where someone's requesting mm. a ride, mm. whereas more experienced Uber drivers knew to like, oh, you should park right here, like half a block away from this hotel. From the whatever. airport. Yeah, or the, yeah, wherever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was another thing. So we then did things to help educate new drivers. And mm. I think we even like experimented with, well, a first time driver, let's like be a little bit more lenient in terms of like making sure they get that first request mm. sooner so they don't have to wait for a really long time, stuff like that. So now at, at any question, as you know, we're encouraging all of us on the team to experience what it's like to be an expert. Now, of course, for people like you and Brett Hawk, you guys are our experts already in the app. And so you get to use the app every day answering questions. Mm. Um, but for the rest of us, we've created this, you know, kind of private channel that's just everyone on the team. Mm. And we just kind of use it for fun, you know, asking silly questions and answering silly questions that we can we can see but no one else can see but it helps us use the product and see like what's what works well what feels broken yeah uh, that kind of stuff and i think that's been really valuable it's almost like when you have to do a a talk in front of family and close friends Mm. it almost makes you more nervous (laughs) (laughs) whereas going out to the general public yeah i got this and it's (laughs) kind of like yeah it's a different way did you incentivize uh and i'm curious and and we can move on in a moment but with with the uber um that first trip did you find if they did one trip Mm. that it was just like they, they went to the moon and they went on their way? What was the yeah, drop-off good, like? Good and did you incentivize heavily? I know you said that it would make it easier yep. to get there first, but were they paid more or anything like that? Yeah, you know, we did test out some different promotions. And for we usually had the promotion say like, oh, if you do, once you do 50 trips or something like that, you get you get a big bonus. But because so much of that friction was about getting to the first trip, mm-hmm. I do remember one promotion we uh, tested that was all about getting to that first trip. And it actually worked quite well because once they did that first trip, then the second trip's so much easier. Yeah, yeah. And so while it seemed like economically it might not make sense to pay a driver a $500 bonus to do one trip, if it got them over that friction point and then they kept driving after that, then... There were times where actually that did make sense. Wow, yeah. wow, I love that. And if so, if you're if you're willing to be one of those early adopters, yeah. it, it really can work in your favor yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love it. Okay, so going back to you have the idea, huh. you get a couple of people that say, "Yeah, we like it," you know, and, and I'm assuming you know your wife and and, fam- and dad and parents were maybe kind of supportive or not uh, supportive. Yeah. Or- <laughs> They've been very supportive. I wouldn't say they necessarily from day one were like, "Oh, this is an amazing idea. Mm. I think this is going to be huge." You know. I I um I appreciate that sometimes they would give me feedback that you know like here are things that I think you should improve mm-hmm. you know I feel like they're some of my harshest critics oh for I sure appreciate. no I've met yeah. Sarah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no they are very honest family yeah. are great because they are very honest yeah. and they're not going to just build you up for no reason yeah. they're they're going to give you that honest feedback right. which is really critical oh well, and part of it with Sarah is like she's not that interested in the topics that yes. are currently on the platform. And so I'm excited to add new channels that she, she is interested in, you know, yeah. cause I, I kind of want to see her getting excited. Well, it's like to my, use that with my herself. mom. I yeah. can't wait to, you know, we have gardening on the yeah. radar. And Although she's still one of our power users, even without. Oh, my gardening. mom, my mom, she's her amazing. questions, she, she walks around the neighborhood talking yeah. about how her questions have the most answers and she wants to get all these special badges that we got to build in the product for. Right. <laughs> and well, and, and, uh, her answer from Michael Clem, right? Michael Clem. Yeah. Um, so anybody that knows swimming and, especially Australian swimmers know that Michael Klim's a bit of a rock star. <laughs> and I know Michael personally, which, you know, here I'm, I know Michael. <laughs> but anyway, he, he is a good mate and he came on the show actually about six months ago. And um, But, yeah, when my mum asked a question, my mum tends to ask questions that are very self-reflective, you yeah. know, and uh, and I think Michael grabbed, grabbed the answer by saying, hey, Sue, lovely question. <laughs> my mum woke up one morning and I got a call from her. Oh, Michael Klim just yeah, said my name and uh, answered my question. And, and for us in the business, that's called a magical moment. And uh, it really was for mum. She's been hooked ever since. Yeah. She's just loving getting to know all the experts on almost on a personal. It feels very personal. Oh, it right? really does. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, by the way, I, I've, I've loved getting to know your mom this week. So yeah, it's yeah. been so, so nice to yeah. be able to meet her in person. Uh, Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah. and your family as well. <laughs> um, but okay, you have this idea, and a lot of us have ideas. Mm. 
that that first step that, you know, okay, you've reached out myself and yarn and, and you've got a little pat on the back and it's like, okay, sure. this, this could work. But what do you do next? For anybody listening out there that has an idea, what's that first kind of step? What did you sure. do? So I, again, I, I think it's important to give, give that idea some time, mm-hmm. even if it's just in your own head. Yeah. 20 years ago, like when I did datesite.com, for example, I'd have an idea and I would just want to start building it that day, same mm. day. Um, I think what I've found as I've gotten older is I have a bit more patience and I'm happy to like sit on an idea for a good month or, or two. Yeah. And just, um, I ask, I like to ask myself, am I still ex- as excited or more excited about the idea a month or two after I first have it than mm. I was when I first had it? Mm. Most of the time the answer is no. Mm. And that's when I kind of let it go, let it go. Mm. And I think it's totally fine to let it go. But it also gives you time to iterate on the idea in your head, mm-hmm. especially if you can share that idea with others and and get their thoughts and feedback. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to iterate on an idea than on an actual product that <laughs> people are building, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it's in your head, you can easily pivot and make it change yeah, and you yeah. know think, oh, maybe I should do it this way or this way. So I do think it's important to just take that time. Yeah. Um, to really like, which is to, hard to do though. It's hard because you feel it's like true. the moves, the, the world's moving so fast that if you don't get your product out there quickly, somebody else is going to do it. Right? There's that That's, kind of anxiety of, that kicks in. Of course, of course. And what I would just have to remind myself was like, well, if I talk to enough people and um, get feedback that kind of causes me to change the idea, that that actually allows me to move a lot faster. Mm. And if I start to build it, and a few months in. Then you ask feed, for feedback. And then I ask for feedback and then I'm like, whoa, I uh, really should, wasted a lot of time those for those last few months mm-hmm. building something different from what I should have built. Mm. And actually this kind of uh, moves ahead a little bit into building the product, but I'll just say it while we're talking about this is like, I'm such a believer in releasing a product early and often. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it was Reed Hoffman who says you, you, sh- you better be embarrassed with your first product. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you just got to like, you got to get it out there and get that feedback and get that dose of reality. And, um, and then you can iterate on it from there. And mm. it's, so you're, you're never going to have a perfect product on day one. So you might as well just get it out there. I love that. And face I, the truth. It, the it's called in the business for yeah. you guys as minimal viable product. That's right. Which is kind of like, look, what's the minimum product you can put out there to start getting feedback? And, That's right. and I used it, I think on our team Slack, I said, well, it was a bit like if I talk to a young up and coming triathlete and they say, you know, what's one bit of advice you can give? I'm like, race. Yeah. And, and race as often as you can. Obviously, you need to do some training and get things in place, but race and race often. Totally. And that's the minimal viable product you can have being yeah. an athlete. You get yeah. that feedback. And even a bad race can be better than a really good training day, right? That's I mean, right. Because you're, getting, you're putting yourself out there and you can be embarrassed that's and you right. can feel like, oh, I, shouldn't, I really wasn't prepared. And, and there is that kind of, but boy, do you get a lot back from it. You yeah, know? that's right. It, it reminds me of, um, this was a few years ago when I, I did my first, it's called like a dirty double where you do back-to-back 70.3s yeah, yeah. Um, one week double. apart. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> at least I think that's what my coach at the time, Matt Dixon, uh, used to call it. I raced a 70.3 in California and then the next week did one in China. And I, I was like so much more nervous for that first one mm-hmm. because it had been quite some time before I'd raced and I'd been tr- you know, really training a lot for it and I, I wanted everything to go perfectly. And I, I got that race over. It, it was fine, but you know, it, um, I was then just so exhausted from that. And then I traveled to China to do this next one, and didn't even really have time to think yeah. about this one. And up. so I, I went into that second one just like it's just like I'm just not even going to worry about anything. I'm just going to like get to the starting yeah. line and go. Yeah. And that was my best race ever at All that the time. Pressure's it was, off. It, I, yeah. I, I I went quite a bit faster in that one. It was just like a much better race. Hmm. By the way, Crowey was in that race and uh, he won it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Was that Cheng, Chengdu? Um, that was like uh, Neo Joe. Neo Joe. Yeah, okay. 70.3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like launching product is kind of like that. As you mentioned at the beginning of this uh, of this podcast, like when we launched the app, we we made a lot of mistakes and yeah. it was like getting elbowed in the face yeah, uh, yeah. In, the, in that swim start. But now we've gotten into this nice cadence of pretty much every two weeks launching a new version of the app, iterating. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like we're racing every two weeks and now it's kind of no big deal to like 
launch a new release and it just keeps getting better and better most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think so many startups make the mistake and myself included, I've, I've made this mistake in the past where you're like always one month away from launch. Mm-hmm. You know, you always think you're a month away and then the next month you're still a month away. And Well, and it's like, funny you say that because yeah. even when, remember September, October last year and, and uh, you know, for all the triathlete experts yeah. who signed up without a product, by the yeah. way, we didn't yeah. have a product. That's right. <laughs> Javier Gomez, Maria Mola, there's a That's list, right. 35 of the greatest. They all signed up because they said, yeah, we'll give this a go. Yeah. And uh, so I just want a big shout out to all of them firstly. But sure. it was kind of like, I remember going, I think we had, October 1st is the date. And then we said, okay, no, there's California Ironman on October 25th. Yeah, that's I mean, right. Why don't we do it? Or October 24th or whatever. Why don't we do that all around that race? And you were training to do that Ironman. Yep. Jan Fadino was training to do that Ironman. Yep. We were all flying out to California. <laughs> we we're going to do this massive promotion. It was going to be fantastic. Then you get COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're still contemplating doing the Ironman. And I'm talking to Sarah in the background. She's like, should he be? I'm like, no, right. he should not be doing an Ironman. Well, I remember Sarah <laughs> even used our app to ask, <laughs> ask, I think, you and Jan and some others, should Ed race in Ironman California no. with COVID? I remember Jan's like, definitely not. <laughs> no, but the, the but. Fun, funny thing is we, we decided to cancel. We just still decided to keep going ahead with the, the launch. And then... The race out there even got cancelled. Oh, I know. Gosh, so Jan didn't so get bad. to race and then he got sick so he didn't even get to do a follow-up race and it was yeah. going to be a big race between Jan and um, Gustav Eden yeah. and, and all of a sudden everything kind of changed. So the launch didn't go to plan. Yeah. The product was still in a place that was very early days and I remember saying to you, in a year's time and two years' time, our product's not going to look anything oh, like yeah. what it is now. And <laughs> totally. even 10 months in, we look at right. it and go, it's... Nothing. Although, you, you know, one thing we still need to change um, is we still have the video that I recorded when I had COVID. Um, <laughs> the intro as, video. It's yeah. the intro video to our app before you sign up. Yeah, yeah. And we haven't changed that out yet. And it's still that video of me All right, like so introducing the app uh, while I have COVID. And it looks, I look awful. Yeah. And we just haven't gotten around to changing that. I, I, I mean, I think, it, yeah. I think it's, it's one of those things that's, Okay. Yeah. But no, it's, I mean it's, 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 it's not it's not an urgent thing, which is why we just haven't changed it. It's yet, like having a dirty chain on your bike. Yeah. Like it's not. <laughs> it right. works, but it's not. You exactly. know. Let's, let's put a new chain exactly. on and really clean it up a little bit. <laughs> we should. We need to do that. <laughs> Quick mini break to remind you to go check out any question. You can find it on iOS or Android. That's any question one word, or you can even go to anyquestion.com forward slash Ed Baker. We're talking about getting started, building the team. Mm-hmm. You know, that's another kind of big part. How did you sort of recognize who do you bring on first and how? Yeah. And I know, not to put words in your mouth, I know you started with a contracting firm. That's right. You know, for the engineering side of things, but how did that all come about and how did you put that in place? Yeah. So, you know, this was the first startup I actually decided to work with a contracting firm yeah. to build the app rather than bring on full-time engineers or have a co-founding engineer um, to build it internally. And part of the reason I decided to try to do it through a contracting firm, that's actually how Uber started. You know, the the first version of their app was built by a contracting firm that I think it was based in Mexico because some of the code, even when I joined the company a couple years later, the comments in the code were still written in Spanish. Spanish yeah. And some of the engineers on our team had to like, they they had to look up, you know, mm. stuff in Spanish to understand what the comments said. I figured if, if Uber could start out with a contracting firm building their app, then we could do that as well. You mm. know, mm. I was referred to a, a fantastic um, contracting firm, you know, came highly recommended from a friend of mine. You know, fortunately, it's just worked out amazingly well yeah. with them yeah. to yeah. the point where I didn't think we'd be working with them for as long as we have. But at this point, I can't imagine, you know, not working with them. No, they're, they're, they're basically owners in the way they operate. They you are. know, they really to have are. contractors that really work as though they're owners, they actually come on the team retreats. They're, they're That's very right. much a part of this whole community. And well, so. and they also ask if they could work for equity instead of cash, Yeah, you know, right. which was, uh, I thought, I love that they asked that and I'm, I'm glad we've made that work. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And then going forward, I come on board 
Did you have a definite plan in places, you know, now we have what, about 10 full-time employees, five part-time and we have some yeah. contractors. I mean, is it con- constantly reassessing where you're at or is it kind of going, no, there's a right way and you should build a team a certain way? To me, it's much more about let's look at where where is our biggest gap today that we need stuff done today. Mm-hmm. And it's not about like, oh, how do you structure the perfect team and you should have this and this and this and these are all the pieces. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's not that for me. It's more about what is our biggest need right now and how, and who can we bring on the team to fill that need you know, when you first came on, mm. you were the first person on our team to start going out there and getting experts onto our platform, mm. right? Mm. And uh, as you mentioned before, you kind of reached out to a bunch of your mm. your friends and people you've had on your podcast to create our first channel of triathlon. Uh, and then then you also kind of first spoke with Brett Hawk and mm. brought him in and he started doing the same thing with swimming. Mm. So I think for this uh, particular startup, expert acquisition is is such a critical part mm. of what we're doing because uh, we are building this two-sided marketplace. And so that was kind of one of the first things we needed to do mm-hmm. is actually get some experts on the platform. And <laughs> as I'm sure you remember, like the way you, you started out doing it was you'd have Zoom calls with these experts and say, hey, can I record you answering a few questions? Like we didn't even have the app built yet. And so you would just like record those Zoom calls and then we would crop them and put them into the app. And There's still a few of them on the, still on the app. So they yeah. cropped a little bit too much on yeah, a, a little few bit. of them. Yeah. So, but, you know, that's like when you're first getting started, you've got to like, you know, sometimes you've got to just be scrappy and do things like that mm. to to kind of get the um, get that MVP out there mm-hmm. uh, to start getting that flywheel going. You've, you've got to do things that that don't necessarily scale. Yeah. I think that's also yeah. something Andrew Chen mentions in, in his book. Don't be afraid to do things that don't scale mm-hmm. in the early days. So if it's like recording a Zoom call and cropping it and putting it into the app, you obviously don't want to do that when you've got thousands of experts. But for your first 10 or 20, it's okay. You know, That's it it right. You've got, you got to be in the engine room a little bit yourselves until yeah. you can automate these things and... I still feel very much we're a part of that. Uh, you yeah. know, we, we have people in the background picking up the pieces every couple of hours every day, That's looking right. at questions coming in, looking at answer quality coming in, looking at all the different pieces, and it's very manual. Yeah. And uh, that's just how it has to be for now, right? And I think that's actually the fastest way to get started. Mm-hmm. And then I think what you find is when you do things in that manual way and you start doing more and more of that, then you realize, oh, why don't we now automate this? Yeah. That would save us a lot of time. So yeah. as we build the team, that's largely kind of how I've been thinking about it. It's like, what are things that could be more efficient? You know, I think the the next person we brought on the team after you, I believe was Melanie mm-hmm. um, to head up our CRM, CRM team. And so she basically um, started writing the emails because be I was writing the emails yeah, before that right. and I should not be writing emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know that was something she just yeah. like knew how to do and did yeah, it really yeah, well yeah. and you know now she's moving into kind of a new role that's um mm-hmm. she's really excited about mm. on the expert success side of things but it's always you can always see like what's that next gap mm. where there's like the biggest room for improvement and mm. I feel like that's that's how I think about hiring yeah and, and it's it's fun doing the hiring because you're yeah. looking for People that are love what we're doing, yeah. you know, the why why somebody wants to work with us is is a really important question that we ask in the interview process, yeah. and then um, and then obviously are they bringing certain skill sets and, and what do we need and um, and it's you know we're still so early on it's it's funny to be even talking about how far we've come sure. because it's like <laughs> from where we want to go to no, it's like got it. um, I just I know our time I know you've got some meetings coming up here but I just want to touch on a couple of other things. Um, when, when you look at building a product now compared to when you started building your first website in 94 to, you know, datesite.com in 99 to, uh, you know, Friendly in 2007, and, and how different is it now building something compared to back then, you know, sure. and I feel like the competitive landscape might be more but now, but maybe the opportunities are bigger. I don't know. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, well, so one big difference is, there are just so many more tools and platforms available to help help startups move so much more quickly. Right. 
you know, even things like Slack, you know, it's hard to imagine life before Slack, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> In terms of just, especially with a remote team or a partially remote team, um, it just allows us to be so productive. Mm -hmm. um, or Figma, you know, or just like all the different tools that we use, um, I think allow us to move super quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's that's one big difference. I do think, you know, this kind of somewhat remote environment or hybrid environment, uh, which I, I, I guess is largely a result of, of the pandemic, but that's a big difference too. And yeah. I think um, a lot of companies have found ways to make that work and make that work more efficiently than mm -hmm. in person. You know, I, I kind of like what we've started doing where we, we'll have these team days every other week mm -hmm. um, where we all get together in person in Boston for one or two days yeah. and then we'll go two weeks, you know, kind of remote. That's a, a big difference. There, there are other differences. I'm trying to figure out how much of that is that it's 2022 versus, you know, 1999 versus just the fact that I, I, I'm like, I've had more experience mm. now. And so I'm thinking of things like fundraising and stuff like that. I think there are a lot of people out there looking to invest money. I was going to ask you, actually, that there. was a big question that I kind yeah. of jumped over, but I do want to lead into that yeah. for people that have ideas and are trying to build businesses. Yeah. The idea of raising funds. How right. That? So, you know, if it's a first time entrepreneur, that's, I think, the hardest time to raise money. And I think there that's a, a time where if you can just go out to friends and family mm. to kind of get started, mm. uh, that's probably the the best way to go about doing it and even in my case not being a first-time entrepreneur I have not yet gone out to raise a venture round you mm -hmm. know I kind of started out self-funding it and then have raised some money but mostly from you know friends um, friends many of whom are you know kind of like angel investors or seed stage investors but I haven't gone out to try to raise like a massive venture no. round because I well I'd like for us to get really feel like um, we've honed in on the product market fit and mm. just really feel good about where things are before we go out and raise a big uh, a big financing yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. By the way, product market fit for just that's a bit of a lingo, basically yeah. saying does the product, is there a marketplace for the product? Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> just, right. <laughs> I know I'm always somebody, I had to learn a lot of these things sure. very quickly <laughs> over the last 18 months and just just wanted to make that clear. And it's an interesting one. I mean, you're, you're on both sides because you invest in a lot of different brands and products and things like that. And as an investor, can you kind of explain what things are you looking for when somebody comes to you and say, hey, you know, Ed, are you interested in investing? Are there things that stand out to you? That I'm always looking for is this something that could be really big, right? Yeah. So people often refer to the TAM, the total addressable market. Mm -hmm. So is this something that if it really works could be huge? Mm -hmm. And then I think a second question is the team. How mm -hmm. how strong are the founder, the founding team and the entrepreneurs and everything? That's a second really important question. I'd say the third thing is is really just like the product. Mm -hmm. You know, is this is this a good product? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think if it's a a good product and a strong team and a huge market, then if you can check those three boxes. Does it matter if you would use the product? You know, that's a good question. I know a lot of investors will say like, oh, you shouldn't limit your investments to just products you would use mm. because there's so many big opportunities out there that you may never use yourself. That said, I've mostly limited um, the companies I've gotten involved with to products that mm. I... I would use myself, yeah. not not 100%, but I'd say most of the companies I've gotten the most involved with, including, you know, Facebook, Uber, uh, Whoop, Zwift, Form, you know, mm. these companies you mentioned that I, I have um, gotten more involved with. And then any question, mm -hmm. <laughs> these mm -hmm. are all, you know, products that I'm excited to use mm -hmm. myself. And I just kind of like doing it that way because for me, it's just more fun. Yeah. And I think I also then just will have a better, better intuition around like, is this a good product or not? Yeah. If it's a product I don't use myself, I'm not as good as like figuring out, <laughs> no, you know, it. does it have the magic? That, it makes sense. Yeah. Last piece. Yeah. Where is any question now? And uh, where do you see it going? Sure. So, you know, any question now, as you mentioned, we're about 10 months uh, since we launched that, that minimum viable product. 
we've got over 300 experts now. 370 experts. 370 yeah. experts, over 20,000 answers on the platform mm-hmm. across, I think we have 10 channels mm-hmm. on the app right now, mostly in endurance, sport, and um, health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we just launched nutrition uh, yesterday, mm-hmm. so I'm excited about that channel. And we've got a, a healthcare channel we're launching next week, so we're really starting to do more in the health and wellness space. Uh, but we are still just like a fraction of a percent of where we want to go. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really excited about is to continue launching new channels, bringing on more experts. Uh, you know, as the name implies, any question, I'm really excited for this to become a platform where literally anyone can ask any question and get a trusted answer from a world-class expert, mm-hmm. regardless of what the question is about, mm-hmm. whether it's about sport, uh, nutrition, health and wellness, or parenting you know, or gardening, parenting, or, gardening, you know, <laughs> yeah, home yeah. improvement, yeah. Um, music, yeah. Uh, you know, any hobby you could think of. So that's where we want to go, but yeah. we've got a lot to do between now and then. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. One last shout out. Yeah. What would you want from people listening? I would love for people listening to give the app a try. Yeah. You know, it's, it's totally free to um, use for the kind of the first hour of view time. And so if people out there are willing to give it a try, please do. Please go in there, ask some questions, mm-hmm. and please share feedback with us on what you like about the app and what you don't like about the app. Mm-hmm. We realize it's it's far from perfect, but it's hopefully getting better every every week. Yeah. So any feedback you can share, we'd greatly appreciate. Mate. Well, this is really fun. Uh, I know you've got meetings lined up for the rest of the day and I'm conscious of the time, but to be able to sit in person and do this. Oh, this is great. And I know a lot of that sort of conversation you and I have had and and that's kind of why I wanted to sit down and have it again so other people could hear it. Yes. Because I think there's so much information in there for, you know, both in sport or business or whatever. I think there's just so many, so many great learnings there. So Ed, I really appreciate you sitting and chatting with me, mate. Thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah. Great, Great to be here. Yeah. And for everybody listening, you can go find all the show notes and timestamps and and everything else at bennettendurance.com com forward slash podcast and forward slash media cheers Ed thanks Thanks, mate thanks a lot for listening if you've enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated you can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice don't miss the next episode so subscribe and be notified For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.